This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. Hey everyone, my name is Ian Savage. I am the philosopher in the room. Welcome to NBS Podcast. And Josh, you know, the Electronic Entertainment Expo has been wrapping up this weekend, otherwise known as E3. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I saw that Doki Doki Literature Club Plus was announced for the console. So, so does that mean you'll be playing that weeb shit on your PlayStation? I don't even know what Doki Doki... <laughs> what did you just say? What did you, what did you just say? Doki Doki Artichoke? <laughs> The Doki Doki Literature Club? Doki Doki Literature Club. Now, that was announced for what? For the consoles, because it used to be on PC. So I assumed you would be picking it up. I I couldn't imagine any other being any other way. See, you know, it's funny, too, because even off mic, you're like, oh, I got this joke I'm going to lead with. And of course... And of course, your joke has to be super shitty. <laughs> um, no, I bet if I, I'm just saying. If I mean, I bet if I understood what the hell you're talking about, and I love how you just choose to like bring up like games and E3 on our freaking like political episode. Um, it's it's relevant. No, relevant. I know, but what makes me laugh though is like it's basically you're trying to elude that like in this day and age, no matter how hard you try to run from it, everything is being politicized, baby. Um, but I am Josh Simpson, and uh, I am the thespian, aka Boom Boom Pow Pow. Here we go. It's 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 MBS podcast time and um for a season bullshitters we, it's time <laughs> it's time I don't know I'm gonna start trying a new like new cast for it. it's like boom boom pow pow it's MBS podcast time you know maybe we'll see how that sounds if that's Just, yeah well yeah we'll we'll see we'll see you you look like you don't like it <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't a fan no. wasn't a fan of it I gotta be honest with you uh, I I mean I didn't even get off my you know misery maker phrase so it's it's totally okay uh, but everybody knows that. You know, they come here to listen to me. They're going to be miserable. Um, <laughs> You're like, I don't even just say it anymore. It just, uh, it just happens. People know. It's like mm-hmm. that. Uh, one of the I, I don't know if anybody familiar with uh, um, Solar Opposites, but it's a cartoon show that's the same same creators and same kind of cartoonistic style as Rick and Morty. But mm. one of my favorite scenes is. He's talking about how he doesn't like, you know, it's about aliens and stuff. And he's like, I don't like humans because everybody has to be so nice all the time. You have to focus on how nice you have to be. And he's like, and people tell me that I'm rude. And like, I don't understand what they mean because every time I walk into a room, everybody says, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I feel like, great. Ian, that's, that's you. Every time, every time we turn on this podcast, most people are like, oh, great. Here's Ian. Oh, great. And I'm just like, hey, yep. I'm here. Yep. They said I'm doing Thanks. great. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs> but no, I was, uh, you know, it's it's funny, too, because a lot of our episodes, usually it's Ian that's like, hey, Josh, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm thinking about doing that. And very rarely these days do I, you know, I get a word in all the time when we record, but not much when it comes to episode ideas. Not because I don't think of them, but because Ian usually is quick to the draw. That's true. However, today was my idea, <laughs> which is exciting. I'm excited. And I just basically said to Ian, yeah, I said to Ian, I went, you know, we have not, <laughs> we have been lost in our own sauces. You know, we have, uh, you know, with moving and, and me going back to school and, and, you know, Ian just being a bitch. So we decided that, like, you know, we haven't really looked into, like, the, the political sphere for a while and what's going on. You know, I mean, it's, first of all, it's so much beautifully quieter now that Trump is not just screaming all the time. And, and it's the news has kind of died down about him, although, you know, he finds a way to make it in there every now and then, but there's just things that are going right, the, on. The swamp is just quieter. now. <laughs> yeah. There's just, um, 
But there's still things going on, and uh, we thought it would be best to kind of cover. You know, we can't cover everything, but we're going to try to hit a few kind of peak stuff that we're seeing and just kind of, you know, just talk about it because that's what this conversation or this uh, podcast is, is about is, you know, conversation and, and diving in and, and putting up at the end. For sure. I mean, yeah, thank you, Josh. Um, you know, we definitely still, uh, you know, want to cover, you know, do deep dives on specific topics. And, and there's a few coming up in mind um, that uh, Josh and I have on the docket. But yeah, you know, we still want to keep up to date with what's going on in the political world. Um, because, you know, that stuff is important. And obviously, without Trump in the White House, like he was a newsmaking machine. So it was it's it's good to like still check in even though he's gone because there's like Josh said there's still stuff going on and so one of the things that um, I wanted to check in on is obviously there's still kind of a pandemic um, going on and you know I wanted to talk about the COVID stuff for a little bit and the first before we get to the first sort of news item I actually have a little bit of an anecdote so I'm fully vaccinated now I got my second booster shot you know um, it was last uh, last Tuesday. Um, from the time of recording and it hit me like a fucking truck. I got so sick. I had like a fever. I couldn't I like, and of course it like it hit me like while I was working, driving, you know, a big truck and like, I got dizzy. I couldn't see straight, you know, I had to like go home and like lay down for hours, you know, then it sort of like subsided for a little bit. And then in the evening I got the shakes, like I literally couldn't stop shaking it was so fucking weird. It, I got hit so hard. So I just want to let everybody know that vaccines are weird. And when, and when you get vaccinated, it doesn't mean that you're getting sick from the thing that you got vaccinated against. It just means that your body's trying to work through it. So I just wanted to share that with everyone because it fucking sucked. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that was relevant because uh, when I got my second booster, nothing. I was completely fine. Not, I mean, I had slight soreness in the injection spot, but that's it. No, no adverse reaction, no nothing. So just, I'm just a better human than you are. That's just, <laughs> that's all. Right, right. That's all that really means well, to well, me. Josh, uh, but no, actually there genes. is a, well, it's bad too, because like, obviously, you know, we're not going to get, you know, this is a whole different topic. And, and I guess it's difficult too. I mean, one could argue that the, the whole entire vaccine sphere has been politicized. <laughs> um, you know, unfortunately it sucks. It has to be that way. But I love people that are like, I just don't understand why. You know, people, it's weird to me that people are being incentivized to get it. And you're like, what? Like, of course, like it's, you know, we want to make sure that everybody gets it. And if you're on the fence and there's a certain way that you can be influenced, I think it'd be fine. But there's certain times where, you know, side effects are a common thing to everything we take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any sort of medicine that you're going to take is going to have a potential side effect. I mean, we've all seen the commercials with like potential side effects and like there's a huge list of shit. Um, on all like FDA approved drugs. And so mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if you heard about this, but the Pfizer, uh, the, I think, I don't know if it's CNN or, or, uh, CNBC or, or whatever, but they, they found out that there has been a kind of abnormal in spike of, of like, uh, pericarditis, which is a, a heart inflammation. That's a side effect of the Pfizer vaccine. And which is funny is that like, I'm now part of that statistics. My doctor had emailed me cause I had heart inflammation. Um, oh, you know, and, and it was like, yeah. And I had I like four days where, that. yeah, yeah. So it was like four days where I'm like, man, my, my chest felt weird. And so it turns out that was kind of the, you know, a rare side effect 
of the Feisner, as in the you know millions of people that have received it, there's been there's 226 last time I checked reported cases of heart you know, of heart inflammation, and it's mainly after their second shot, which mine was in between my first and second. Mm-hmm. So like, who knows if that's exactly you know it's it's definitely a correlation, but it doesn't mean it's the causation. Um, and so it's strong correlation. So hopefully that's probably what was going on, but. Um, yeah, I'm definitely part of that rare kind of pocket of the RNA Pfizer vaccine that kind of had some sort of inflammation of the heart. But it went out, it went away after four days. Right. Yeah. Well, so, you're part of a statistic so. now, so um, that's that's good. Uh, but yeah, so I wanted to. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, that only about you know a little over 200 people uh, reported that. But um, yeah. So- yeah, and they say it's like rare, but enough. It's that's the funny part. Like it's super rare, but it's like enough of a blip to like be noticeable. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. A small blip, obviously, like 200, 200 some people out of, you know, several million um, is obviously going to be small and, and therefore not that much of a concern to the larger populace. But um, yeah, so I wanted to talk about the so-called uh, Fauci emails that were leaked, you know, and I'm using air, air quotes. Um, I love your transition. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, so back to the Fauci emails. Let's yeah. do this. Let's 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 uh, get down to brass tacks. Um, yeah, yeah. No, so you know, this was just interesting. I, I, I'm sure you heard about it, like a, like many of our listeners probably did. And basically, um, there were some, you know, quite a few emails actually. Like the document that's available on BuzzFeed is is quite large. Uh, Wasn't it like ten thousand something like that? It was something like ten thousand like total emails or something like yeah. something absurd. Yeah, that, you know, because like Buzz uh, BuzzFeed and I think it was the Washington Post both were able to get uh, emails, and you know, people were losing their shit. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks that he should be fired, that Fauci should be fired, you know, because of these leaked emails. You know, they are so dangerous. But you know, oh my god, it's so funny. I mean, this even online you see like memes of people that are like, oh, people called me crazy for saying that like this was all manufactured and like. You know the Fauci emails are gonna are gonna be our saving grace and share everything and and it's just like it's oh I was telling Ian off mic I'm like you know sometimes it's like man these people like feel like they're getting an inch and they're gonna take that fucking mile oh they really are they really are and it's it's sort of (laughs) funny because it's like the reverse side you know when Republicans are like where are the Hillary emails you know come on the Hillary emails we know they're there Um, and in you know in similar fashion like. Uh, this is largely nothing. I, I, I think it confirms a lot of our, our suspicions, if you can call them that. Um, and the emails themselves weren't leaked. They were uh, achieved, or they were um, uh, they were granted through the Freedom of Information Act uh, from both BuzzFeed and the Washington Post, if I if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, yeah, so it's something about ten thousand emails where it's just like Fauci corresponding with you know with certain individuals, sometimes citizens who are just like mm-hmm. concerned, you know, or him talking to scientists or him being tagged in emails, and you know, it's just I don't know. There's not a whole lot there. Like it, it you know, there is you know some emails where he's talking to. Um, I can't remember any of, this, of the specific names, you know, but they're talking about the masks, uh, for example. And, you know, someone's like, can I like, should I go fly on a plane? He's like, no, you'll be fine. Like, you know, and still the, um, you know, with access to masks earlier on, you know, he's like, oh, don't don't wear a mask. But like you, you, you still should. And like all this stuff. And, and I think that is probably the more interesting thing because it's something that we figured out pretty early on that like, Oh no, the masks are effective in stopping the spread of the virus, even with people who aren't affected. And originally it was something like, you know, it's only the people who are, who are infected with the virus need to wear a mask. Healthy people don't. But in reality, it was just trying to, um, 
make sure that there wasn't a mask shortage. And I think that is the sort of thing that gives, you know, conservatives and like ultra far right conservatives, the leeway that they need to say, it's like, Oh, see, they were bullshitting us the whole entire time. And in a way I'm sort of sympathetic to that because I do think that the administration of, of course, it was under Trump, right? So like that was already in a difficult, we were already in a difficult position, but we should have just been up front. It's like, yes, we should all be wearing masks. Try to only get what you need. You know, like I know people are going to panic when they're, you know, when there's a that's, panicking thank situation. You, Ian. That's but, literally what I was like hoping you would allude to. Cause I think it's like, you know, look at the toilet paper. You know, we, we <laughs> randomly go out and buy toilet paper. And, you know, I remember seeing so this weird. meme of like when the first part of the pandemic was going on, it was like, Apparently there was like these huge killer like bees that were. Oh yeah, the murder. Like, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, the murder hornets. And some guy commented like on the mur- like the first murder hornets being found in the U.S. being like, so do I need to go buy toilet paper or like what's going on with this? <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know it's what irks me is that you know th- this idea of when we don't quite know what something's going on, we're kind of learning and you know so at first it's difficult to judge something before we really have the data or we know what's going on and you know to say that maybe we didn't need masks at first was like maybe everybody's going to go buy all these masks you know and try to sell them or there's going to be sort of shortage for hospitals and to say that they don't work is ridiculous like they use them in the hospitals like it's just it's just asinine in my opinion to be like what if you don't think that they're effective at all then why do medical personnel wear them like then they would not need to wear them i i do think the specifics did come down to like the n95 mask right like there are sure. versions of n95 masks that that hop that hospitals use whereas like the common mask that you can just buy in the store is not going to be as effective and i think that's what sure. at least Fauci was alluding to in the emails but then people took that and ran with it right where they're like oh the masks aren't useful at all it's like no that right it's you're just not looking I'm just at trying it. to yeah I'm just trying to say that like you know maybe in the initial steps of it we when we weren't quite exactly 100% certain how it was spread you know we weren't quite certain of where it was coming from and all these different things and if you were healthy maybe not but like cuz the practice of cultures that do wear masks normally you only wear them if you're not feeling well you know and that's like or if you're or if you're in an area where you're afraid that you might contract something and it's like a it's like a show of like i don't want to get somebody else sick if i'm not feeling well you know that's how everything germ you know we learn as a kid that germs spread mm-hmm. you know and so it's it's there's like a i don't know i guess for this it's this this concept of i think that we are so focused on rights that we forget about responsibility and i think you know oh you, i thought you said we, whites for a second i was like no. well <laughs> I didn't know you oh were going to go down that route. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, like right. No, everybody is so focused on my right as an American to not have to wear that mask if I don't want to wear that mask. Mm-hmm. And I think really what Fauci was trying to allude to is like, first of all, to me, those emails just prove that he just has been working his ass off. Like a lot of the emails that I read, like talked about him being tired, you know, him like trying to power and through it or like the fact that he was responding to just regular citizens after all these emails that he was right. getting. Um, it's just <laughs> it's crazy. But that's kind of where. I felt it is. It's almost like, uh, you know, if you were, it's almost, if you think about, like, let's take a look at the flu. You know, like, if you, it's taboo. We, we're taught from an early age that it's taboo to, like, not wash your hands, you know, if you, if uh, to, to, you know, to go into a store without washing your hands or something and get your germs elsewhere because you don't want to spread stuff, you know, and, and that's, so there's a lot of, like, hygiene things that I felt like got brought to light. And I feel like the mask got kind of, like, adapted in all of that when it talks about kind of basic hygiene procedures, which is... Well, and that's that's an interesting angle because I still feel like that a lot of Americans 
don't really respect that kind of hygienic lifestyle. Now there, there comes a point where, you know, you're, you're like totally germaphobic and you like got to fucking scrub every little inch of your body every time you touch a, a surface. And, and I'm not talking about that, but it's more of the people who, I, I don't know about you, Josh, but as a male, you know, I've been to a lot of, uh, bar bathrooms where there are plenty of men walking around, you know, using so, the restroom. So wait, are you trying to, so females don't use bar bathrooms? <laughs> I, I'm just, well, <laughs> male men restrooms, you know, for in, in bars where I, there are plenty of men wandering around, you know, going to the restroom after having a few drinks or maybe not even any and not washing their hands after using the restroom. Or, you know, I, I don't know, like it, it, I think this, you, you don't even have to limit this to bars. I think it's all over the place. Like there are a lot of people who are unhygienic. I mean, I, when I did important, uh, about 10 years ago now, when I was younger, I met this guy who we were hanging out doing music a lot and he would sneeze into his hand. I'm like, that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> and, you know, and he would just wipe it off on something. I'm like, dude, like, come on. It's, it's the fucking elbow. Like how long have we fucking known that shit, you know, or like grab a tissue, you know, he had a bunch of them for jerking off. So, um, but you know, it's, Jesus it's things Christ. like that. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, I'm going off the rails a little bit, but, um, it, but, but seriously though, I think a lot of people just aren't as hygienic as we expect them to be. No, so I understand that, but thing, that does not, that does not change the fact that we, we're not like taught certain basic hygienic True. practices when we're younger yeah but the, i know. still think there is a large resistance uh to it at least at least in a little bit like on an unconscious level you know people are like hey eh, like i don't need to wear a mask you know like i mean that was no but like my- but even for us it's anecdotal i i know that for me i can sit here and just be like you know i think it's ridiculous that people are thinking that masks don't work just because of the fact that they're used in the medical industry and some would argue that like just by the nature of being around that and you know that's the reason why they're used there and you can whatever spin you want i just feel that that's the approach that i kind of personally take on is this hygienic approach of like i feel that there's a lot of hygiene practices that you might be right in and all of your anecdotal stories that we just haven't thought about because it's out of sight and mind Mm -hmm. you know what i mean we get sick when we get sick and we don't think about it otherwise but i feel like COVID really has brought to light this idea of of like germ sharing and of course you know the people that are very very susceptible to you know or germaphobic or however else you want to peg that like of you know, that's difficult for them but on an average level i feel like there's a lot of people that maybe have not thought about hygiene like for me i wear a mask you know if it's i'm vaccinated now we're about to move out of that i know that my area is like weeks away from lifting all restrictions because we're about to hit the 70 percent vaccination rate right but for the time being i thought hmm like it kind of made sense to me from a hygienic standpoint to wash my hands and then wear a mask to protect any sort of particulates that might come out. Like it's better than nothing, I guess, is how I kind of always have viewed it. For sure. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely understand that. I mean, you know, it's gotten to this point now in the county where I live where uh, most people are vaccinated. You know, I don't think we're still I don't think we're close to that 70 percent. Um that you're getting close to uh, in your county. But um, we're still a lot of people are vaccinated. Most businesses now say that, like, if you're vaccinated, don't wear a mask, you know. And now, granted, it's, yeah, we have know, that it's, too. It's based on, um, on um, you know, on merit. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's still getting to the point now where, um, where most people aren't masked around. And so, you know, like, and I'm fully vaccinated and I'm assuming a lot of other people are. And if they're, if they aren't, then I'm protected either way. And so I just don't wear a mask. You know, a lot of places, you know, are still like, you know, the bigger stores, like department stores and, and grocery stores, are like, Hey, wear a mask, but there are still people wandering around without them, you know, and people are going to do, 
And so I, I think, you know, with that in mind, I, you know, the biggest thing is like, you know, you were talking about rights and responsibilities. It's like the responsible thing to do. Again, we talked about this last time uh, that we had this conversation. It's not really a there's we, you can take morals out of this. You just look at your civic responsibility is like, yeah, I should just get vaccinated. So I protect myself and then we can get this whole thing fucking over with. Right. Yeah, and I just think that it's like I know it's it's this fear, like, and this is what I think too, like politically speaking, where the spin really is. It's like it's the idea of of fear, and I know that we're probably going to have our own maybe offshoot, you know, episode that has to deal with that. But I feel like there's on the one side, you know, there's people that are kind of more leaning towards being. Um, not very condu or not persuasive of getting the vaccination because you're as we mentioned one of the last episodes i don't want to call these people anti-vaxxers because that's not what it is because a lot of them have gotten vaccines in the past right. it's more of specific to the they feel that the covid vaccine was rapid or they feel that the covid pandemic itself uh, was shady and so they they feel like there's some sort of something else going on you know that that's that's happening and it's hard to mm -hmm. convince those people that about their civic duty and they claim that we're getting it because we're afraid and i think it's really weird that you know they don't see their own fear and how people manipulate them for that fear of uh you know always extremists that are talking about or like they're doing this it's like they're almost being acted by fear but they turn it into you know this this almost like a badge of pride but it's i don't know there's a thing that we're going to talk about later that i talked about like the, the power of fear because you cannot have courage without fear um, because it's not courageous if there's no fear to overcome. Um, and so I think that there's just a huge that's misconception of, yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of, I've been thinking a lot about fear, courage and, and how that all plays together. Cause uh, both sides claim to be, you know, that the other is fearful and they're the courageous ones. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's just a relationship there that I think could be fleshed out later on. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think, I mean, that whole notion of fear, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are people who are vaccinated or who are getting vaccinated because of a fear. Um, but I think that, you know, yeah, I think it's ridiculous to suggest uh, that most people are getting vaccinated out of fear because it is simply just like, let's get this over with. Let's be done with this. And I, I do think, though, the people who are hesitant to get the vaccine out of fear, you know, let's call it that. Um, I think it's because of the overwhelming politicization of of the pandemic. I mean, I, I don't know, like, it, I feel like we're living in a unique time. You know, one of the other things too, I wanted to talk about was the, the sort of lab leak theory um, that, it, you know, about the COVID's origins. Well, and, and I just you know, want to put back on that time just, on it. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to give you props on your point about like the whole like politicization of the pandemic and, and the fear versus uh, courage aspect. Cause I think any sort of, you know the extreme bipart like the extreme partisanship and the extreme divide is is about drawing this sharp line between you know like oh my god anything that the left mm -hmm. does is it's it's social it's socialism and it's it's like look at Cuba and like they're gonna ruin your rights and they're gonna take everything away you know and then the other the other side it's like you know like voting restriction and you know they they're like immoral and like you know they don't believe in certain things and it's all about big business and money and and you know you you're just you're just not wrong in that sense where it's unfortunate but now because politics has been such integrated with what's going on that this idea of like fear mongering or this fear loop um has been mm -hmm. continuing even into something like the pandemic you know and and it's just a good example yeah for sure and and you know, the, again, the the example that I wanted to use here is the is a lab leak, you know, theory. Uh, you know, it's 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 hardly that. I mean, but it's not technically a theory, uh, nor is it a hypothesis. But 
Um, yeah, you know, like just, you know, I, I was reading a, um, an article, like an interview on the New York Times from this uh, uh, virologist and, you know, just commenting on the, you know, the, the theory and uh, the, the emails leaked from Dr. Fauci and his correspondence with Fauci. And I think what's interesting about this is like now, you know, the CIA has been looking into, um, you know, this one specific lab in the Wuhan territory in China about this. You know, there are scientists who are saying that like, hey, like there are specific things within the protein or something in SARS-CoV-2 that looks like it would have been manipulated from, uh, from a human, you know, human scientist. And basically this scientist on, uh, let me just look here on the New York times. Um, let me, what's his name? Uh, uh, Christian Anderson, you know, he, he basically said that there's no, actually no way to know, whether or not it came from a lab or it came from an animal, um, we can kind of theorize and hypothesize based on specific evidence on like what is more likely, but that's really it. And, you know, what's interesting about that, you know, he was saying is like, look, you can look at that the lab leak theory or the arising out of, uh, you know, wet market in China are both likely but that doesn't make one more likely than the other, you know, it just really depends on the type of evidence that you have. And like, there are still scientists coming, you know, out today. They're like, Hey, like we should give more credence to this lab, thick, uh, you know, idea. And I think that's really interesting implications, you know, when it comes to China, which we'll be talking about later. Um, but I just think that again, you know, we look at the start of the pandemic and the politicization of this issue and, that whole lab leak thing, I mean, it was, I don't know if you recall, but it was kind of a crazy, it was a crazy talking point, you know, for some mm -hmm. people that if you brought it up, it, you, there were criticisms of like, oh, well, you're racist to think this, or like, how dare you think that like the Chinese people would, would do this to its own citizens or, or to the rest of the world, which doesn't seem that, you know, out of far left field. Um, and so it just, it became a hyper-partisan and hyper-polarizing you know, issue. Um, just the fact that like, oh, it came, could have came out of a lab. It just could have, you know, and it may not have, but it could have. And that issue itself was enough to, you know, stop doors. You know, it's like, fuck, you know, like stop people from talking about this. It's similar with the, um, uh, with the UV rays. And when Trump was talking about that and fighting the virus, it's like there was actually a research team looking into the, the effects of UV light on the actual virus itself. They had isolated the virus. They were treating it with UV rays and seeing that it was um, dying pretty substantially. But people took that and ran with it. It's like, oh my God, like the, the president is suggesting that we can just kill the virus with UV rays. Like that's ridiculous. And so lots of, um, you know, places like Facebook and Google stomped that story from really getting out because of the politicization um, just of the very subject. And so that it, it, it just becomes frustrating when we're trying to just have an open conversation. But I think a lot of it had to do with Trump, you know, and his rhetoric around, the, you know, around the virus and around everything else that we, we just can't give this uh, fire any more oxygen. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's interesting you know, it's it. I think again, and I've been saying this so much, but this is a phrase that I have felt like I've said a billion times in my, you know, conversations that I've been having, you know, in real life. Is, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm -hmm. and I and I keep saying that because, you know, Ian, you're right. The the certain frustration about it is that like you know you look at certain things that that China has you know possibly could be 
responsible for it. Now, I'm going to make the caveat that any virus that's going to be leaked from a lab is when the zombie apocalypse is going to happen. So if there's no zombies, <laughs> there's no... There's no, There's no zombies, lab no lab leak. <laughs> um, but no, but I, I think that, like you said, even trying to, you know, actually have a, a, a rational objective, you know, or as close to objective look as you could on a potential like a lab leak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because all these people are trying to find something to support their own beliefs that they just they get a little thing and they just take and they take and they take. You know, and I feel like this is bleeding into the political sphere where, like, it's impossible now for for Congress or, you know, or for anybody to get anything done. Because if the slightest mention of something, nobody's listening to the actual, you know, maybe whatever's being laid out as either a rational argument or why it should be happening. They are cherry picking certain things and then extremes on either sides are, are using that as such a solidified reason for why this is going on. And it's just like this this absurdism on each side, and there's no real how do you how do you face that? Like how do you combat that and stop people from from jumping on the smallest thread because they think that that thread once they pull it is going to unveil the truth that they knew all along? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I, I think there's a now more than ever uh, an instinct one to be incredibly tribal and, and, and make sure that like the tribal needs are met first, uh, than, than truth or anything like that. Um, which is kind of funny. I mean, like there's a collectivism about our modern politics that is bleeding through, you know, quite heavily. The other thing too, is that the, there is a kind of religious fervor in the understanding of the world and the truth. And in American politics, it's, it's on both sides. It's on the left and it's on the right. And, on the right in particular, I mean, not to, you know, conflate like religious conservatives with the actual like religiosity, the zealotry that's, that's going on in the conservative party is that they are so convinced that the left are, you know, demagogues and, and, and like they are socialists and they're going to like, you know, spread, you know, critical race theory fucking everywhere. Um, and the, and the left on similar sides are convinced that like, average everyday conservative Americans are bigots and are idiots. And, and I'm not talking about like everybody on the left, of course, I'm just talking about, you know, people loudest voices that we tend to hear the most, you know? Yeah. You know, or they're, or they're convinced that, you know, conservative Republicans just, you know, are, are, are racist on their, in the, on their underbelly and that they, that they want to, you know, stop black people from voting or having a voice, you know, it's whatever, it's whatever, you know, thing you want to point to is that there is a, a zealotry and a religious further fervor um, from either side on the, on the sort of far ends that are pushing for this truth. Like we've are the arbiters of truth. We know what's going on. And the other side are just children or idiots or that are not seeing the forest for the trees. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I think it's a really pernicious issue and like, I don't exactly know how to, how to, you know, like combat that. I think the, the real truth happens when people work it out in conversations like you and I do on this podcast. Um, you know, so I don't know. I, I think, you know, you mentioned something a minute ago about like the sort of gridlock in Congress. And I know if, if, unless you have any other response to what I was going to say, you had something about, um, the Senator for Senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, uh, that yes. you were talking about. 
Yeah, so I think I I first heard uh, you know who I, for, for example Joe Manchin sounds like a semi familiar name to me, um, but he has been kind of popping up more and more that I've been seeing in kind of political news, and so I was like, let's figure out what's going on with this guy. And I know that the the Daily podcast covered him, and I was like, okay, so he's being covered on the Daily. Like, there's been a few articles written about him. Like, so I want to do some research here, and it's kind of fascinating, you know. And it and and, and you're kind of right, Ian. Where I think this is a prime example on this political tribalism. Um, and we're kind of seeing here this kind of play out as this battle between, you know, the new Democratic Party, the new Republican Party and, and, and an old school moderate who happens to be stuck right in the middle of all this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and just the only other comment I was going to say is like, you're not wrong where it's like they can't even understand this because you listen to like, you know, outlets that are not helping that are propagandizing like Fox News. You know, it's just, a you know, it's kind of a propaganda wheel. And. They they do things like they talk about woke culture like they're woke about woke culture. And I just don't even, <laughs> you know, and I don't think, yeah. you know, and it's funny. I don't even think they understand like that. Like they that's they sound more woke than the woke people that they're talking about because they're woke about people being woke. Um, follow along a bit. It all it's, makes sense. It, in the it's, end. it's a sweet, sweet irony for sure. Anyway, that's that's one of the other Dr. Seuss books that is banned. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the woke and wokeness, Man, but the, no the culture wars. Yeah, but even that, like that, that was something that people ridiculously jump on. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. like the people that own the rights decided to cut a couple books out, like out of the entire series. Nobody's, like, it's just, you know, it's just get pulled right. into, you know, everything's being like, you know, just ex- catastrophized. I guess if we're if we're gonna take well, it from like a, I mean, we like this is this is a rabbit hole. So, so don't let me go down this rabbit hole. But it is interesting, right? That if we if we view texts or view movies or view certain songs that are problematic, then the instinct is to get rid of it. Uh, so that that's just something interesting. Um, you know, on either uh, side though, too. It's like oh, it's no, yes, it's funny. Yeah. It's like the same people, you know, this I was like the same people that complain that there's such a thing called cancel culture. I'm like, dude, religious like religious people have been canceling shit for years. Like <laughs> I was like, like, yeah, did you, you know, did you forget the nineties? Did you forget the nineties? Yeah, I mean there's know? so many I remember all these books and stuff in school that like religious people try to get banned and like I remember okay, last night total story and then we'll get back to Joe Manchin. But I remember being in um in Blockbuster when I used to work in a Blockbuster and, you know, a video store for any young new listeners who don't know, <laughs> um, <laughs> where you can go actually like rent DVDs and stuff before like Netflix and all this stuff. Uh, actually, Netflix in the beginning of the days used to send DVDs. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I remember I was like uh, stalking movies and I, I found like an, an empty case and there was no movies behind it. And I looked and I'm like, it was Bridge to Terabithia. And I was like, where is Bridge to, to Terabithia? And they're like, no, man, it got like, it's removed from all the blockbusters in this area. And I was like, what? Why? And apparently the, like the owner of the particular blockbusters that we had was like, had a religious affiliation. And apparently there was demonic or, or some sort of um, negative message that was being sent in Bridge to Terabithia. It's ridiculous. Um, that it got pulled from, you know, a lot of religious places were pulling it from most of these stores. And so it's just, it's just fascinating. And this was back in like, you know, the early 2000s. Um, so interesting stuff. But back to Joe Manchin. <laughs> like you said, we're about to go down a rabbit hole. Yes. Um, yeah. Don't worry. We'll have a whole episode on campus. Senator, Senator of West Virginia. Um, and it's interesting because it, he's like one of the last, you know, Democrats in that state. And he's one of the uh, one of the last kind of moderate Democrats who has a very, very strong position on bipartisanship where he believes that, like, we should work together. But 
everybody talks about how Joe Manchin right now has all the power because he is mm-hmm. the one kind of vote that can basically if he's not on the if he's not siding with the Democrats, they can't get the 50-50 and then they can't have the uh, the vice president <laughs> Kamala Harris do the tiebreaker. He might as well be a Republican. Right. And but the yeah. the thing is though is that the Republican party is like we don't like Joe Manchin because he's not voting when it counts. Like he's not mm-hmm. voting on our policies on certain regards. And then the, a lot of the Democrats are like, you know, Joe Manchin, like he's not, you know, really doing what the, what our agenda should do or moving forward. And he's like, you, he's adding to the filibuster. And a lot of people are kind of saying that like, Oh, Joe Manchin's got all this power right now. And everybody wants to try to persuade him and, you know, and get him on their side. And I feel that I would fucking hate to be that man right now. <laughs> like, I would, or, you know, or in that position, like I would really dislike to be that person because yeah. obviously there's two sides of this coin here. One side is he's in a very, very conservative state mm-hmm. and very, very Republican heavy state. So he's got to have a piece to certain things if he wants to hold his position. But he's also yeah. West Virginia uh, was the number one Trump state in the in the twenty twenty election, yep. right? Like it had the most Trump votes. Well, yeah, it was one of the. I don't know if I yeah. I remember it being one of the top. But so I just man, I I couldn't even imagine being in this position where every every bill that comes out because I do know that he was the reason why that the um, the relief act was not passed as as quick as it could be because he didn't like the fact that mm. Americans were going to. I think the initial thing proposed a a 500 unemployment kind of kicker for all Americans. And I think mm. he kind of negotiated that down to, two, uh, to, to 300 um, and a few other things, but sure. he has been pitching like, you know, I want this to be bipartisan. I feel like we could work together and we should work together. And like we both sides are being too finicky with each other. And I guess, I don't know, Ian, I want your pen. Do you think that it's like a pipe dream? Do you think that, you know, he is not kind of realistically understanding that we're just in a different game. Like it's not, it's not a bipartisan world anymore. Yeah. It, that is interesting. Right. I mean, cause it's, it's part of you. Like if you're, I mean, if, you know, put yourself in his position um, and um, you know, I don't know. Like I, you get into politics, right. To try and do good for your, you know, who, for whomever you represent supposedly. And I, you know, it's sort of funny, actually, like, you know, because in an article I was reading about him, they were sort of describing him as like, you know, again, sort of an older, older style Democrat, mm-hmm. you know, Democrats who used to represent working people and the unions. And that was something that was actually always in the back of my mind when I was growing up is that people on the left seemed like they were for the workers and people on the right seemed like they were for the rich. Mm-hmm. And now somehow like. It seems like both parties are for the rich and none of them are for the workers. <laughs> and it's just like, it's it's just a little bit strange to me. And I do think that I don't, you know, I don't know this guy and I, and I don't follow his politics. Or, I mean, either or, really. Or, I just, uh, I, the, he first the came into my radar when he is, he's the main reason right, right now that the, uh, like Biden's infrastructure plan is, is not moving forward. Um, you know, he's one of the huge for people sure. that are, is kind of still on, on the fence like that because he wants GOP, uh, participation and you know so that's and then seeing him more populate i'm just like okay like his name roughly sound familiar but what's going on with this guy <laughs> like what like yeah i, I you know i want i don't want to say that he's living in a fantasy land but you know it is 
I, yeah, I mean, it's got to be difficult, right? To just like and good thing we got him on the podcast. Party. Welcome, Joe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be interesting. I doubt somebody like him would talk to you know such a you know renowned podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I. I, it is it is strange and you know something too that i was noticing you know that his fellow democrats want him to like you know go forward with the vote to eliminate the filibuster mm-hmm. as well and i always remember like on on all the leftist um you know sort of media shows you know like uh, the the john stewart show that he was on the daily show um back before it was trevor noah you know like there was all these pieces all the time about how bad the filibuster was and how we need to get rid of the get rid of the filibuster and you know, like Joe Manchin is himself, like it was quoted on the article, is like that would be very like something along the lines would be very undemocratic, and I, he sort of seems like the epitome of like that ethos within the within the Democratic Party of like no, we got to keep democracy alive, and it's it's sort of funny, like you know, you are you get elected, you know, as a senator or as a representative to represent your state. Or, you know, you're, you're, you're the senator of your state to, like, push the values of your state forward and, you know, to make sure that your state gets what it needs. And yet these career politicians and, and these career Democrats specifically in his case are like, no, it's party first, not your state. And, you know, to me, that's just really interesting. The psychology going on there, again, it just talks about what the tribal and the tribalism that we were talking about before and the position that this Joe Manchin is in. Um, so I don't know, like, you know, it was what will probably happen is that, he, you know, assuming that he stands by his principles, he, he might just be voted out in the midterms, you know, and, and the Democrats will get somebody that they like or who follows the rules or Western Virginia will just get a, a Republican in that in that specific seat. So I don't know. I, I mean, I it's politics. So I just expect stalemates. Sure. I just I, just, I guess I don't know. The reason why it fascinated me is that just the juxtaposition of of you know him trying to be kind of like this old school style of high, you know because back you know even when even when parties were supposed to be established you had like you had like liberal democrats or you had like conservative democrats or you had like liberal republicans mm-hmm. and there was like almost like um a, a mend of ideologies uh, on either side that probably helped with the sense of bipartisan working together because you had like even though there were different parties there was still kind of like this this fluidity of of lenses to approach problems and now you know this fluidity is kind of gone and we talked about this a little bit too which is like i can't remember now exactly what election it was but it was uh you know and and again of course pro trump people are like oh here they go again blaming trump but when trump kind of he he focused so heavily on national issues that like everything mm-hmm. boiled down to that. So I remember it was like one local election where the Democrat, this was during the Kavanaugh hearings. Oh yes. Yes. You remember, remember this? this? Yeah. Okay. I and I, 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 it was a Democrat in like one in like North Dakota or something like that. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and it was basically, she was pitching these like very specific, um, uh, policies that we, that were like affecting North Dakota. Uh-huh. You know, or the people that live in North Dakota. And then, you know, during one of the things, you know, the, the Republican that was running was like, you know, I'm for Trump. I'm, you know, I'm going to go Trump and he's going to fix the nation. And, and basically she was asked, are you going to support, you know, Cap Brent Kavanaugh being, you know, put into the Supreme Court? 
Right. And at first she was trying to dodge the question. And then, you know, just because of the, you know, I think the, she said, no, she wasn't. And I think just the, the response from that is initially what kind of tanked her campaign. And it just was weird to me that here she was trying to focus on actual things that the state would need that were very specific to her state. And mm-hmm. it just got blown up into what she thought about national issues that really, in the, in the grand scheme of things, whether or not she thought that Kavanaugh deserved to be on the, did not like affect her state in any way, shape or form did not affect like what she was planning on doing in office in any way, shape or form, but it did affect, you know, the outcome of, of the, the mass public of that area. And I feel that a lot of that is what's happening. Cause Joe Manchin, I think is, he's trying to be that guy. That's like, no, I think that from a local level, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about what, you know, West Virginians, like would, would the people that live in West Virginia need, I'm worried about like how things used to be get done. And then the other sides are like, no man, like, and they're, I guess the I'm long story long (laughs) is that instead of saying, you know, you have to side with party, each party is saying that we know what's best for the nation. And they're, 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 they're making it, you know, they're, they're blowing it up saying that like going with our way is the best way for the nation. And I think that's just a clever mask to say that in reality, it's more of like, it's really just stick with your party. Right. For sure. And I I do think that is, you know, on a larger level, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you can take away, you know, take anything away from this is like the problem with politics is the is the level of 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 you know i say nationalism but the the, but the level at which um everything is national and i think you know it is it's it's sort of sad you know like okay so weird uh, philosophy flex here for a moment is that when you take the root word politics you have the word polis which in ancient greek means the city and people who live in the city you know and so that's where we get the word uh, police um politics and and its various other iterations and that's where i think politics and to, on today's, you know, in the modern times and, and on the national level, that is where it's failing. It is not concerned with what's happening in my city. You know, like obviously like in your own city, like there are political concerns that their own citizens have. But like every representative that you elect is worried about the bigger picture. And and like what does this mean on a national level? What does this mean for my party? It's like, no, no, no. Like as a politician, as a representative of your state or your city or your you know, county or whatever, um, you should be focusing on what's going on at, at the local level, you know, with air quotes. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, it makes me wonder, you know, in a hundred years time, what will the United States look like if this keeps going? Like, will we get eventually get to a breaking point where like, maybe we really should consider breaking up the United States. I don't know that like it's an interesting Jeez. interesting idea, I don't know. right? I think yeah, I guess so. My my thing I always go back to this. This is you know one of the very the first episode we did is flaws in American democracy. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think that things are much more complex. You know, human experience is complex, the way that we do things is complex. And I know that like sometimes people want to find the easy answer. But here's where I think in the problem is. I think like, you know, and what is the Plato's Republic where he talked about the reluctant ruler. You know, and and in reality, right. the ruler you want is not the one who seeks power because power corrupts absolutely. And if you're seeking power, you're probably not going to have the best interest of your constituents at heart. And I feel like these this day and age is so blatantly obvious because you know the public on on large, and I'm not trying to say that uh, this way or the other, but on large, we are not 
we don't quite have great skills in, in reasoning and critical thinking and trying to take a step back from our own cognitive biases or distortions. And we are kind of manipulated in certain regards by what we see. And unfortunately, that kind of bottlenecks our politics because in a mm -hmm. democratic style, you know, and I'm not advocating for like an authoritative saying that one person knows all. What I'm saying is that in a democracy, there is a assumption that the the people that are that the majority that is dis, the making these votes have some sort of cohesive understanding of what is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think this boils back down to an education problem. You know, it boils back down to the fact that like we are not, you know, we're not putting precipice or we're not putting importance on the fact that if there's no real structured way for us to to understand what's happening. You know, look at look at bills. Like every time I have to vote for something, the way that the bills are worded, there's like double negatives, you know, and it's almost like there's sometimes like even me, I'll read it and I'm like, I don't know if voting yes or right on this, like is or yes or no on this is what I even is, is the outcome I want. Um, I know, based like, on how things are worded. It's, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, like you look at, you know, I mean, every time you get a ballot in the mail, it's kind of like you're reading Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit and you're like, <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. You know, you're saying or it's just like this and it that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Or seeing like even in the mail, like people are like, oh, you know, mail-in voting is this good. And it's like, okay, you know, Ian and I are both from the state of Oregon, which we've had mail-in voting for a very long time, very mm -hmm. minimal margin of error. Like it's mail-in voting is not a problem, you know? So it's like, totally it's fine. hard when you're like, oh, like voter suppression. I mean, it's to me, like I'm a touch sympathetic just because like there's really is no issue with voting by mail, um, especially because we do get a pamphlet, you know, that that also comes with, you know, pros and cons with arguments of each aspect of the bill. But it's just this idea to me that if the communities that are that themselves become tribalistic and only see through a certain amount of lens, it kind of forces the people that that elected them to kind of follow suit. And I feel instead mm -hmm. of being honest or trying to do what's best overall for the country, you're going to try to manipulate things in the lenses because you don't want to lose that power. You know, I think a lot of politics just sounds exhausting where all these people are doing is like they're just trying to have their cake and eat it too because, you know, even in Joe Manchin, I went, even if Joe Manchin didn't believe in half the stuff that he's saying, like if he doesn't try to thread that needle, like mm -hmm. you said, he's going to be kicked out. Yeah. You know, and so is he going to do, I guess my question is, is, is are these politicians going to do what's best or are they going to do what's going to keep them employed or in office and my theory is they're probably going to do what's going to keep them in office yeah more more or less i would agree with the latter um yeah you know i i guess what i is, is sort of think is at least with individual politicians and then you know the citizens who are being representative is like there's a problem of accountability on the part of the politicians and responsibility on the part of the citizens who are being mm -hmm. representative you know politicians rarely have incentive unless they are on you know on a campaign you know to to get elected they are rarely incentivized to actually speak with their constituents and 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 whom they represent you know and and aren't really held accountable yeah sure there are recall elections and sure we like oh elect the next person the next time um but you don't really you know you, you don't know unless you know uh you know, who, I don't know who our representative, Greg Walden, isn't uh, our representative anymore. Ron Wyden. Um, you know, Ron Wyden, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, unless like you, is he's your neighbor, 
you know, which I doubt, like, you're not like talking to him, corresponding with him all the time. You know, like we aren't really incentivized to do that. On top of that, the way everything is so digital now, where, um, and the way just we live in society, you know, you're not like driving past, you know, the mayor's house every day, you know, or you're not like seeing him at the supermarket, you know, probably not really. Um, you know, so there's that aspect to it where like politicians have a really impersonal touch with the citizens that they represent. On top of that, I, I think we are neglecting our responsibility in talking to each other and like having a place where we can talk to each other. Now it's just relegated to Twitter, you know? And so that's where all of these ideas just boil and, 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 and spiral out of control, right? We don't have a place where we can talk to each other face to face. Obviously the pandemic made that a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, but there's nothing, our, our personal issues aren't made public. And I know that sounds weird, but like if you were having an issue, okay, let's take Black Lives Matter. I'm not I'm not going to get like crazy political here, but let's take Black Lives Matter for for example. If we didn't have Twitter, if we didn't have the internet and we had to like talk about our problems with each other at like and try to figure out the problem of of over policing or under policing whatever you want to call it, like you might have to talk with the people who believe that they are being hurt. You know, like in really terrible ways. And so something like that is what I'm talking about when it comes to responsibility of citizens. Like we should be talking to each other more. And I know like we just beat this dead horse over and over again about this and lots of people beat the same horse. Um, I'm sorry for that horse. But it is, <laughs> it is, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's an easy, it's actually kind of an easy solution. I mean, it's not easy. Obviously, it's it's hard. Um, but if we were just to like to talk to each other more, you know, get the problems worked out. Well, there's a there. I think it's in family systems therapy. There's a there's a concept called uh, it's like circular correlation or circular causation, where it's not like most people think of cause and effect as linear, where it's like mm -hmm. I am mad because this person did something. That's a linear response to their action and my and and my feeling of their action. Right. But in, in actuality, it's more complex than that. To where as you are somebody's cause and and there are the effect you know you are the effect to somebody else's cause so it's it's almost in a circular pattern to where you know there's really it's it's about taking blame out of it mm -hmm. and understanding that actions people respond to actions and everybody has a role to play with that you know even when and there's it like you said it kind of takes morality out of it it's not trying to figure out what actions are right or wrong mm -hmm. it's just trying to figure out that like if i if you did something and i responded to it there's something that i'm doing that you're responding to and it's and it's a vice versa it's it's a circular kind of relationship and when you kind of acknowledge that you know and I, this is a prime example i had two kind of um employees at work that were kind of having a a tiff and it, it what it boiled down to is that the you know the the react the the actions of of one person made them think that they were you know not being effective at their job and so they approached it a different way when that person realistically just was trying to find a better way to help them but because of their approach they mm. became rude which solidified that so then they're both rude to each other but it was it was the moment that you know, blame was removed and it was like, look, I acted this way because I thought that this was going on this way. I'm like, oh, well, I acted this way because like this was happening. They both understood the, you know, the, the circular cause and effect of their issue and it was resolved, you know, and I, and I feel right. like that is something that could be practiced here and in a lot of different problem solving aspects of, of trying to identify that we're not, we're not saying things are right or wrong, but there is some sort of circular cause and effect going on here. And we are just so hardlined on being like, nope, 
nope, they're the cause, <laughs> and this is the effect. <laughs> they're the root of all evil, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like, that, you know, that very tactic is something how my wife and I work out problems. I mean, it's just talking about, like, okay, well, this happened, this happened. Okay, why did we react this way? Um, but I know we want to talk about some Biden's uh, budgetary stuff and, and some G7 stuff. But what You want to take a break a first? Break? Yeah, I knew yeah, that. I knew, I knew you were yeah, coming. Yeah, I, yeah. See, you can't see this, but Ian's got the, he's got to take a poop face. So, like, I know why he wants to take a break. <laughs> Just a little intro into my personal life, you know, and then if, if, if it makes anybody feel any better, I just get to watch Josh, like, continually lose hair as a as an older male. So, okay, I, first of know. all, I shave, like, every three days. So, I got I shaved this morning, too, so I got a nice, beautiful bald head here. But, all right, guys, we're going to take a break. We'll see you back soon. All right. Bye. Hey everyone, welcome back from the break. Um, as usual, we had uh, wonderful technical difficulties. <laughs> it seems like, you know, like you and I like to take turns with that. Um, it's just like... You know, it's funny that like, you know, th th they would have never known that if you no. would have said something. But I guess we're honest with yeah. our listeners. So that's the first thing we'll do is like, yeah, my computer just decided to like... You know, I, I feel like it's funny how bashful technology gets when you want it to, to work <laughs> the most. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, now it's got a port error, and I can't do this, and uh, now I got to put headphones in because the Bluetooth's not working, and you know, for you know, all these kind of fun stuff, you know, which is why, let's talk about an infrastructure bill. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this yeah, isn't every, the right uh, purpose here. You know, budget related. Yeah, you know, with Biden's administration and all that. Why not? Why don't you go ahead and start off? Uh, Josh and because uh, there's some interesting stuff going on here with the you know science and, and technology. Uh, oh yeah, so you want to talk about that? So that is. Uh, oh, that oh was the, did you did you want to talk about? It's it's fine. We can talk about whichever. I, I, I was thinking about more of uh, his proposal, but uh, I was the you know I guess because I guess technically would be considered still kind of in the realm of infrastructure. Not exactly what I would what I would con. It's you it's know, conceive it's of. technological uh infrastructure right like it's making sure that like our our you know our infrastructure of technology and and science is ahead of the curb or at least trying to compete with china right so yeah yeah and i'm trying to like remember what the name was like something competitive act it was the um yeah let's see it's through the national science foundation right or is that the um is that the one specifically aimed at china um we've got the innovation oh yeah u.s innovation and competition act yes innovation and competition yeah. act so that was fascinating so this was like you know this passed this passed in the senate just recently and actually passed through the house and the senate and is one of the first bills in a long time uh that had like true bipartisan support mm -hmm. and you know it, it's really interesting too because this bill that when you when you look at it so first of all it's 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 like it's something it's somewhere somewhere upwards of a few billion dollars that's supposed to be like distributed periodically through like a like a 10-year period or something along those lines and uh the main crux of it is really just to use taxpayers money to to fund kind of the you know biogenetics or you know network communication or you know kind of uh, memory and data storage like all of these technologies that we kind of heavily rely on um the, these is supposed to kind of encourage uh, american innovation because we are finding out that you know obviously we the, the biggest point of tension right now is you know globally is china and, and I would say that they spend a huge portion of their budgets on like of their of their you know, country's budget on these things. And 
You know, for me, it's a step in the is in a positive direction here because the, I, it's also connected to his infrastructure bill, which is the reason why I'm bringing it up is because obviously one of the main critiques is the amount of debt that it will generate, you know, but at the same time, he is pointing out... Don't worry, we'll get to that. Right, but he's pointing out, you know, flaws in, in those that are not paying their fair share in taxes and all the, all the people that make egregious amounts of money throughout the American capitalistic system that are not... You know, um, you're basically getting put back into government and, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, like I'm stuck paying taxes, you know, so people should be paying their taxes. Um, I like billions. Yeah, uh, but but for me, though, I think it's more of like I've always complained that we spend an egregious amount of money on our military that I, I, I don't really think we've had to. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not doubting that there are there are plausible threats in the world, but I feel like we truly haven't really fought for freedom uh, since World War II, and you know, and I and I do know that there's some animosity, you know, and I and I'm not discrediting, you know, certain level of threats, but I just I still think that even with threats to be considered, we spend an egregious amount of money, um, taxpayer dollars, you know, on our military, and you know, so for me. You know, seeing some of the taxpayers always kind of be shifted a bit and to to go into things like kind of innovation and and, you know, kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, like inventors where it's like a, a new wave of, you know, like when the Industrial Revolution happened, I'm like all these inventions were coming out and all these kind of like these technologies were were making life more you know easier or better or simplistic. And there was a strong motivation to create these things. And let's be fair here. Technology is not going anywhere. Um, we love our cell phones. We love our video games. We love our, you know, the things that we can find meaning in outside of, you know, working or whatever we want to do. And let's be honest, this is more in a Western, like, uh, you know, kind of American framework here. Uh, because as Ian and I sure. are learning, we do have listeners from, you know, from all over uh, the world. So, you know, as far as, we do. <laughs> as, far as the Western ideology goes... A lot of our, you know, a lot of our reliance on technology is is really centered around convenience, um, and it's really centered around kind of improving the quality of, of our settings. Now, whether or not it does that is questionable, but I think that these, you know, these bills indirectly would provide, you know, kind of chances for American companies to kind of grow and and kind of create some of these things. However, though, as Ian, I think you, I would like you to talk about is like the real motivation for for bipartisanship when it comes to china oh well uh i mean there you know yeah i mean there's there's a few things uh, they, they said I'll, I'll try to remember them all but i mean just first just quickly just for some context here the um uh and i'm and this is a great tool by the way i'll be referencing this um there's the u.s debt clock dot org um right now the defense budget of the united states is hovering around um, yes what is the defense just budget? A, just uh, budget, uh, budget. Um, it's hovering around seven hundred and twenty-seven billion dollars. Boom, baby! <laughs> just, a, just a ridiculous number. I mean, to be um, fair, it's and, you know, like it's totally an American thing to spend money we don't have. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. We'll be talking about that. And it is, it is less than Social Security and less than Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, but it's still, I mean, it's like the third largest thing that we spend all of our money on or borrow uh, to spend money on. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, so when it comes to defense and the spending of defense, I mean, there's there's a whole conversation to be had. Uh, and actually, I part of that I want to save for an ep- an upcoming episode about war and about defense that's and all fair. that. Um, about why we spend so much money on that. But um, 
it is interesting and and i think too specifically with the um with this uh what's the name of the act again u.s innovation and competitive act i think it is a step in the right direction as far as like understanding that you know over five years we're gonna use you know like 81 dollar 81 billion dollars you know over five years i think I don't know. It's, it might be an appropriate number when it comes to you know the support of of technology and R and D and and spending for research and universities. I you know I think that's important, especially in with the competitive nature uh, against China. Because let's be honest. I mean, you mentioned before you know we haven't actually fought for freedom and you know since World War Two. I probably agree with that. Um, that was kind of a bold statement. But, I guess. Um, <laughs> Thinking back at it now, for sure. For sure. You know. Yeah. You're like, whoa. Maybe. No. I'm, I'm like, wow. Well, coming no, out of um, your mouth, that sounds stupid. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, thanks for that. Um, but no, I, I think largely you're right. But you know, in a way, I, you know, it's probably you know this this whole you know technological arms race that we're that we're having with with China uh, and with Russia a little bit, but more so with China. You know, I think we're gearing up for. I don't I don't want to call it a hot war with China, but like there is something sort of frightening that's that's looming, you know, in the background uh, with China. And, you know, it's, you know, OK, we can we can get into it a little bit, you know. So like there is so right now, actually, just finished uh, three days ago, the G7 summit. It was the 47th uh, summit. They um, postponed the one from last year because of uh, COVID-19. Uh, but basically, you know, like the G7 gets together. It's um, I can't remember all the countries, but it's the UK. The UK, know, uh, like uh, are the Italy and Japan, the president European of it. Union, yeah, Italy, Japan, Canada, uh, the EU, US, Canada, right? Um, Australia was invited, although they're they're not part of the G7. Yeah, there's a few things. I think um, South Africa was invited. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, a few other places. Uh, but yeah, you know, so they get together, you know, and decide like how to run the world, you know, like big government does. And, um, you know, but one of the one of the many things that came up aside from climate change, aside from uh, COVID-19, aside from how ha- having to deal with, uh, you know, global like a global corporate tax, which is an interesting, interesting conversation. You know, the conversation of China comes up. You know, what's going on with Taiwan and in the South China Seas? And like there is a lot of. I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say. Like, you know, I don't want to exactly use the word problematic, but it is. China, China is an issue, and the the U.S. knows it. A lot of other country knows it. But because of how much money is involved um, with China and with everything else going on in the world, you know, we don't want to sever ties with China in 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 its entirety because, like, we do rely on a lot. And you know, importantly, actually, in that uh, the U.S. Innovation and uh, Competition Act. Am, am I getting that mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, you know, one of the important things here is making money uh, available to uh, procure rare minerals and like um, ramp up the production of, of semiconductors and microchips. Yes. Like that's a huge deal right now, especially because of the shortage of microchips right now. And right now, China has all the cards, you know, so to speak. Like, uh, like they have access to all these materials. They're probably willing to do some more dirty work than we are, similar to Russia. Um, and so there is an issue with that when it comes to the technology race. And so because because of how much um, assets that sh- that China has access to, that is a worrying thing. You know, when when it comes to sparking these potential conflicts with uh, the Communist Party, and so you know, something like Taiwan, for example, you know, China doesn't recognize Taiwan as a country. You know, they like, no, we are sovereign over Taiwan. Um, they are our people, and yet China or Taiwan has elections. They have a flag. Um, 
That's annoying. <laughs> um, and so somebody's stealing yeah, Ian's car. That, like in the <laughs> right, they're like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, you know, China and the Taiwan issue is a, is a is an issue. Um, I told Joshua this yesterday before we recorded, like the whole apology that John Cena had um, for promoting uh, Fast Nine. Because those movies. No, no, we're gonna we're gonna say this. We're gonna say this. This is hilarious. So let listeners in. We we kind of have a shared Google Doc where we kind of write down either like you know uh, episode Uh notes or you know or or things like that. So when we decide on a topic, this is where Ian and I kind of post our research for us to kind of know each other's research. Yeah, or (laughs) tactics. But I just remember looking through Ian's research and I just went, John Cena apologized to China. I'm like, "Uh, what the hell's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta ask Ian about that. But no, you see uh, instances of that quite often. Of, of you know things being changed or even like what like HBO Max the Friends reunion there was like there's aspects of like I think like uh, Lady Gaga's appearance or Justin Bieber's those were pulled or those were cut from the uh, China's viewing interesting of that and so like even on things that you wouldn't think would matter you know there, there's still some sort of kind of weird tweaking and censorship stuff going on um, so yeah it's good to note yeah for sure and so yeah I mean like I think you know. Uh, again, I you know this is something Josh and I were talking about off mic. I think we probably should dedicate an episode, at least in part, to China and understanding what's going on with the problems there. Uh, you know, because there's stuff going on with the Hong Kong protests um, and how that's you know kind of being stamped uh, you know stamped down. Uh, we, you know, we just had the anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Um, you know, so like I don't know. There's it's interesting like how much sway. Uh, that that one country has. I mean, so many people there too, you know, so that's another thing. It's like, why risk getting into such a huge, um, uh, like a a world conflict with China when there's so many people's lives at stake as well. It's sort of like, you know, when, you know, this is a few years ago, you know, in like halfway through the Trump administration, when Trump was meeting with Kim Jong-un and the possibility you know, obviously comes up. It's like, okay, if there's a humanitarian crisis or like uh, North Korea develops a nuclear weapon and wants to strike somewhere, you know, like we have to have this discussion of a nuclear first strike against North Korea. And then there's that humanitarian crisis. Like, okay, all these people are going to be fleeing into South Korea or could have ramifications in South Korea and all that. And so like, this is the problem when everything is so global. Um, you know, this globalists, um, you know, like it's, everything gets so muddy. And with China specifically, like there is a, I mean, there was a Uyghur genocide, you know, with Uyghur Muslims in, and, you know, they're putting them in concentration camps. They're putting children in re-education centers. There's an interesting, um, uh, vice news documentary about this, you know, where she's, uh, this correspondent is going and like searching for, uh, Muslim, you know, the Uyghur children, you know, but it is being, you know, um, uh, taken away and you know, not being able to see what's going on. It's, I mean, it's it's kind of insane, but we just let this happen because of how much power China has. And, and it's also awkward too you know, for the for U.S. Of- because we like to we have established ourselves for no re- for some for whatever reason to be like the police of the world. Uh, in a way, and and like we, right. you know, and we stepped in with the Middle East. We had no problem like trying to step in with the with the Middle East and like, you know, because we have to remember, you know, you know, obviously, like, regardless of kind of how it all started back in the, you know, it was more of like, we were searching for weapons of mass destruction. And they were and then that just was like, wait, what happened to these weapons that we were searching for? And we kind of never left, you know, and there's other aspects of, you know, every time that we've entered a conflict, it's it's kind of been for this, you know, this idea that America has of freedom. 
and the idea of, mm-hmm. of democratic values that they're trying to impose. And so you're kind of bringing up an interesting point where it's like, here are some examples of you know these these values that we've claimed to not only hold but have fought for in the past that are going mm-hmm. on that we're not really kind of partaking in. And the only other thing I would like to note is that you know even in the the Daily from the New York Times, they talked about how there was like uh, and I can't don't know exactly where, but there's a huge power transformer that was made in China that was like for some American city that that Heard they about this. yeah. You know, did uh basically when it got reviewed, they found some tech, like they found some added stuff that was not in the agreed upon schematics uh, or layout that was like a fail safe to where China could shut that power grid off if they wanted to. You know, or certain networks where people were worried about information being binged to, you know, uh, you know to sent to to Beijing and and back. And so the the issue is is that there's a lot of things here that are that are that are rational to be cautious about however just like we dealt with other political issues i still think that people will latch on to those things and kind of get a little hyper aggressive and i don't think that that necessarily is going to help anything either oh for sure i mean you know for a long time you know there was this um uh conversation about the national debt which i want to talk about um uh the last few moments of the of the show but you know a lot of people are like oh we owe so much money to china we owe so much money to china and like they're going to control all of us one day and like i i'm not going to be that hyperbolic right it, you know it's kind of like we were talking off mic about the whole tiktok issue yeah and how there is a um you know chinese mega corporation that owns uh the company that that runs tiktok and they are using the technology uh uh, from TikTok to teach their AI software facial recognition and understanding, um, you know, movement of of people within their society, and that is a really scary thing if you think about it. But it's more scary for Chinese citizens right. or people who live in Hong Kong. You know, like this is something that they're imposing on their own people more so than they're imposing on the rest of the world. You know, so like if anything, it is again, it, it's this extra you know humanitarian crisis that we have to consider like what do we allow a government such as china to continue to do to its people is it just because they're so big that we let them get away with stuff what about north korea north korea isn't that big i mean i know there's a lot of people that live in north korea um, but kim jong-un is one guy you know and like it's a small little country now granted they have they get backing from china and from iran which is also worrying but you know like is it just because they're so big and they're so massive and they have such an impact on the world that like, eh, you know, maybe we'll just let this shit slide. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's also complex and like most anything else, like global, yeah. global affairs yeah. are, you know, so that's why it bothers me when, you know, you see like the GOP released an article. that's like Biden's soft on China and he's always been this and that. I'm like, I don't think that you can claim that one person's one way or the other. These things are so complex and these relationships are so needle and thread to navigate because there are huge things on the line. And like, there are some things that have to be figured out and negotiated. And I just, I think, you know, back to the military point of this whole idea of this, of this act that just the innovation and competition act that was just recently passed is that I think that for the longest time, I mean, even look at this, look at the nuclear situation that we have. It's like, could you imagine what our world would have been like if, you know, for a thought experiment, if instead of building bombs, like for war purposes, which is what funds a lot of projects, what if like we looked at innovating nuclear energy for just power and an infrastructure concept? Like we, uh, what if we would have right. tried, decided to spend our time and effort learning how to harness nuclear energy to be beneficial for the citizens instead of turning it into a giant fucking bomb. And now like, mm-hmm. 
those bombs like other places are trying to build that we're saying no or we're threatening with and it's just a constant state of global um tension you know that it makes it even more difficult to kind of navigate and so for me i just meant like this is like i think the first time in several years because i mean maybe i'm wrong on this but i i feel that it you know with the space race you know trying to get to the moon it's like we were like our motivation was we were trying to do it quicker than russia <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. but that yeah. was that was a time where a lot of taxpayers dollars was funded into these these innovative technology kind of things that seemed far out and it wasn't kind of in a military you know context and in, in, in that in that regard it was more of like we're trying to be the technology best and get to a place where that's better and i feel like the same thing's kind of happening where a lot of people say it's kind of mimicking that so for the first time in several decades you know taxpayers dollars is being put into kind of like innovations that does deal more with everyday people and, and what we use when it comes to our networks, our status storage, our things, as opposed to something that's more specifically designed for war. Right. And I mean, you know, and, and I do, I do think the comment about the space race is, is apt, you know, when it comes to like, uh, is that, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, but a, um, you know, just the way that we that we innovated for the space race versus, um, you know, versus nuclear weapons. However, it it, it is interesting to note that um, in our development of nuclear weapons, you know, we obviously didn't want the Nazis to to develop a nuclear weapon back in the you know in the 30s and 40s, and so we were trying to develop it faster. And uh, towards the tail end, when we were getting the Manhattan Project sort of wrapped up. Um, under you know uh, uh, Roosevelt and then into Truman's administration, we actually took a lot of German scientists over uh, into the United States and gave them asylum so they could basically build our space program. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was very much it was a military endeavor, right? You know, because it was okay. Well, now Russia is sort of a bigger threat than we thought, and now they're trying to go to space, and so they could have space weapons, right? So that was a big thing. It was like the actual like scientific research into space exploration was sort of a um, was sort of a second order category of importance, right? It was more of like the military application of of those rockets, and so even still, you have. You know the the military. Sure. And, I know, guess that's fair. So same thing with the internet. Um, you know, but but still though, I mean the the point of the, the point of the space race is that it had this public image. Yes. that I think that you're referring to, and uh, whereas like with nuclear with nuclear power, I mean like counterfactual, right? Like if we spent more time in in using nuclear energy for for power throughout the United States, that's energy energy independence, right? We don't have to be as worried about going into the Middle East for oil. You know, like now, granted, we have a lot of oil here and oil in Canada, um, and that's also that's too. That's the greedy thing. You know? Oil is difficult to bring up because it's all about the money, baby. And like, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and that's you know, it, it, it's it's there's links. You know, again, it's it's argument on cause and effect here, but it's like, you know, one of the reasons why we may not be as forthcoming to China is because of the you know the money that we might owe them, or you know, how many different things. Do you have American product wise? I can't tell you how many things that I, I either order from, you know, you know, order online or I go buy in a store that have a tag on it that says made in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that we as Americans use a lot. And so, you know, there is a dollar amount that is the kind of like plays in a dictation of choice. And I, I don't think oil is any different. What's the incentive to restructure how our power 
arrived and and that's also to a different conversation about like planned obsolescence and you know the you know the the incentive for economic value of creating something that lasts a while um right. you know there's no real profit in that so that's also like but then again that just plays into the complexities of the way that we decide to live and what motivates these choices you know politically and globally mm-hmm. yeah um no, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of interesting things going on there. And, you know, and there's that's I mean, that's why, you know, I think there's there's plenty of room for critique of of capitalism, as uh, Bo Burnham does in his uh, new stand up special, <laughs> um, you know, but don't worry, don't worry. We'll, t- we'll talk about that. You know, the last thing, though, that I did want to um, that I did want to talk about is that, um, you know, it's sort of related to uh you know the uh, the U.S. Innovation and, and uh, Competition Act, but that's also Biden's latest uh, budget proposal and raising of the debt. And I just I don't know. I feel like we're, I, I was reading something on the New York Times uh, the other day that like we're in a new era now where it doesn't matter. We just keep raising the debt, and I think that is something where it's it's just kind of an accepted. Um, reality where our debt is so large. Let me tell you right now, the U.S. debt, and this is money that we have borrowed from the. This is public, publicly held debt. So, like the Fed lends the United States, lends the U.S. government, the federal government, this amount of money, and like uh, from based on uh, on citizen taxes, and then like. The, the idea is to pay all that back, you know, at, you know, lower interest. And so like, and that's part of the reason why Biden um, proposed this is like, hey, like interest rates are like super low right now. So let's borrow a bunch of money, <laughs> you know, that we're never going to pay back. So just for scope, our national, our U.S. national debt right now is $28.4 trillion, uh, which is just an uncountable amount of money. <laughs> and, yeah, it's it's uh, really like, inconceivable, I mean, realistically, like there's like, no way to conceive that level of money it's 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 frankly absurd and you know and 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 joe biden wants to raise uh wants to propose this budget for six trillion dollars um and then like over the next like two or three years it would go up to eight trillion dollars and would basically be like this permanent raise every um every year and i i just and and also too you know like something interesting to know is like this is the highest um debt since world war ii that we we're accruing so in the world in the world war ii era in around 1946 uh the debt peaked to about 106 percent of gdp and now like we're it's suspected where the the debt will rise to about 117 percent of the economy by 2031 yeah that's the one thing about bill clinton i'll give him credit for like obviously mr clinton as a president had some issues uh <laughs> right. you know when it came to his promiscuity of his afterlife but he actually lowered the United States deficit quite he a did. bit during his he presidency. Did. That was kind of like one of yeah. his biggest accomplishments was how he was able to like lower our, our, our national debt rate by quite a bit. Um, you know, but then again, though, there's a, a lot of the, the trouble with, with being president in certain regards has to do with timing, you know, like where in the, you know, in the timeline uh, do you become president and what's being beneficial or popular at that moment. Right. And, um, you know, like you can't up. Oh, you can't blame Hoover for the for the stock market crash in the nineteen twenties. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but you can create. You can blame him for blame him for the creation of the surveillance state. Um, yeah, so it's just I don't know. Like when I see this, the you know the debt stuff and 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 the and the budget, it just seems like 
I don't know. This is something that we were talking about uh, a little bit with, um, uh, with the GameStop thing, you know, or, um, you know, just stocks in general. Like money isn't real. Uh, it's not to these people. That's really like, you know? that's really an interesting point, Ian, that I think about all the time. Like, you know, when you, when you're like, <laughs> oh man, this disaster might wipe out like whatever, but we can't afford to fix it. You're like, what? Like money is, <laughs> money's literally made up. Like we literally made this up. Yeah. yeah. You just, just print more money. Like at this point, you know, like and not just print know. more it's, money, it's... but if like, if people just like put it together and be like, oh, well just, I don't know. It just, it's, it's bizarre that it rules so much. And I think it's become such a staple you know, in in the way that we conceive reality, that like it it's it's easy for people to not think that it is just a concept that we've created for order. You know, right? I mean, it, it obviously has real tangible effects. Um, you know, especially in in third world countries where money isn't spent uh, where it could be, or even in our own backyard with like Puerto Rico or, or Hawaii. Even um, you know, like it's 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 weird to me that like government organizations and elites and billionaire i mean billionaires separate category you know of of money you know of, of where all, all that is going but it's still like we can just fabricate this idea of value and what's funny is like that all, all that value is representative of nothing like that all that national debt that we're accruing isn't equal to anything it is just imaginary debt that we will never never pay back but i think that's gonna hurt me though ian because like i guess i guess for me and maybe this is a talking point that has been beat but i guess one of the last things i kind of want to discuss with you here about this is that i feel that you know every time the context of so okay, so we, we have different philosophies obviously you believe that really the government is completely useless you know, and that if it was a perfect, you know, and if it's a perfect world. Way to sum up my views, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, in just that context, you know, like, who knows how you would structure it. But, you know, a common thing I get from you is that, like, a very kind of, you know, and I wouldn't maybe necessarily say pessimistic, but maybe more of just a non-optimistic view that, like, government's not going to be able to ever solve anything. You know, I have an idea of, like, understanding the purpose of it, you know, given given the fact that we tend to be self-destructive uh, sometimes and and very much similar to the way that we're raised. like, And, and this is going to sound like way more authoritarian than immediate because I believe that everything should be a balance. There should be a balance of the freedom we have, but also, you know, as a child, for example, prime example, you look at a lot of, you know, human development. A, it's complex and idiosyncratic to the person. But what holds true off and on is that there's a balance between the you know, the, the authoritative nature of your parent that makes sure that like, you don't do anything dumb and you can grow, you know, and like, you know, like Tyson's got a joke. It's an old comedian about sticking a, a fork in a light socket, you know, and how, and how the mom wants to stop him from doing that. And the dad goes, no, if he does it, he'll never do it again. You know? And there's this, like this dichotomy of like t- style of parenting, but that matched because that's how we're all raised by having an authority figure, our parent, you know, tell us no, or kind of has lived in the world to try to help us kind of grow that. But also, like through books like Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff of, of Calling of the American Mind, there is a negative effect when they when kids don't have a certain set of freedom, where they're mm-hmm. not able to go and explore, be individualistic, and and explore the world on their own. And so, 
like with our development, what's showing that the odds, the statistical odds of, of being a productive human being is a balance of freedom and some sort of like managed care. It makes me think that the idea of a government is not out of the norm of kind of how we grew up or raised, where the government should be that same entity of having a, a little bit of authority, but also giving us a sense of freedom to be able to explore. And right now we're confused. One people think it's too far one way and too far the other, but realistically, you know, I think that the government has not, if it's utilized, the spending could be done to to benefit the, the citizens that live in these areas. You've seen this example now, granted, different strokes for different folks, but you look at, you know, you look at places, I think like uh, Switzerland is a good example, or what's that, man, what's the, what's the country I'm looking of that, um, Denmark, I think. Oh, sure. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, you look at different, and we're one of, like the U.S., for example, is one of the only developed countries that doesn't have some sort of universal health care or, you know, that we spend the most on money. So like there are other developed nations that are starting to come to these conclusions that I feel that we're not quite at. And so long story ranting ended here is that finally there's this attention to spending money on things that I believe are important that the government should be spending money on like infrastructure, you know, and like these things that would benefit their citizens and now, all of a sudden, the budget's a problem. When, with the tax cut, nobody cared about the budget, or other things, nobody cared about the budget. So, you know, I guess, Ian, why is it that it appears that when there are things that seem beneficial to me for overall Americans, that's when, like, the other talking point is mentioning the budget? Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, I, I think a lot of people bring up the, the national debt uh quite often, you know, whether it be political pundits or, or other politicians, especially conservatives. But uh, all, all in all, I mean, you, you're not wrong, like with something like this, uh, you know, something that does seem to have national importance. Now, granted, I mean, the, the, this uh, this latest act and, and a budgetary proposal is getting bipartisan support. Sure. But, um, I Yeah, I think that I don't know. You said a lot. I did. I um, did. I, I even acknowledged uh, my readiness. Like, <laughs> yeah. But again, like um, I told you, like when you're learning stuff in school and you just kind of see like the connections of, of what you're learning and just kind of the layouts sure. of stuff, it's just, it fascinates me. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I, you know, this is, this is going to sound uh, uh, off character, but I think freedom is a little bit overrated, at least what people's people's common conception of freedom. Um, same thing goes with, you know, like pure human flourishing and, and happiness, I think is is uh, misguided. But, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm, oh, no, okay. We just yeah, have to flesh this out a little bit, Ian. I, 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 I want to know, um, when you say that freedom is overrated, like, I, I'm curious, to, to, can you be a little bit more specific? Like, you know, what exactly do you, what do you mean when you say that? Okay, people, people... <laughs> That's fascinating. No, like I know that, but like, uh, so okay, so people have this idea of freedom, right? You know, like mo most of the time, it's you know people people want negative freedom or people want positive freedom. You know, be able to do or be able to for for um to for people not to say that you can't do something or, or to say that you can't do something. You know, so they have these ideas of freedom. You know, but also too, I mean, human freedom has has been this subject of of debate and like agonizing conversation you know between philosophers and 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 social um commentators and and politicians and and intellectuals for you know at least since the enlightenment um you know possibly before well yeah at least since the enlightenment and 
it is just this unending conversation that like, oh God, how do we maximize human freedom and human enforcement? And like, what is, you know, like where, where are we free and where are we not free? And it all comes down to constraint on you know, the human body and, and human nature as a whole. I think there is so much constraint that you can just, now maybe in some areas like, okay, for example, in our world of, you know, the capitalist system that we, that we live in, maybe one idea to like alleviate that burden and to give people more freedom is that the role of governments is to equal the playing field a little bit between large corporations and billionaires and the downtrodden, like the, the economically downtrodden. And so you give people who need the money more money so they have more economic freedom, right? So that's one area of relieving that constraint on human freedom. But then you have other areas where like we look at social, you know, sociocultural areas of, of human constraint on freedom and like we have again, you know, there's some problems that, that capitalism contributes to as well. But we have like whole lifestyles that people dedicate their life to acting out because that is what seems to be, you know, the social norm, right? That is a constraint on human freedom. Why can't you just live however the fuck you want? Now, a lot of people do, but there is still social and cultural norms that people follow. I mean, look at the, you know, look at the clothes that we wear, you know, like I'm wearing a star Wars shirt. You can't really see it, it but you know, it's a, it's a star Wars shirt because I love star Wars. And I saw that in the store and like, there's something compelling about nerd culture or like the ideas that star Wars represent that like, I want to be a part of that, but that's not really, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's a positive freedom. Like, Oh, I can just wear this. I can like be part of this culture. But it is a constraint in a way, right? It's it's saying that like, no, you're you're going to behave in a certain way and do this certain thing and 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 like be a part of these values and whatnot. Like it isn't freedom. And on top of that, like there's biological constraints that we have on the choices that we make, the food that we eat, the people that we associate with. There is no freedom. And now we can make illusions for of freedom for ourselves in the world. And we can make that, you know, we can feel nice about that sometimes. I know this, I told you, um, but it, we, there's just, there just isn't freedom. And so there is this obsession with that. I, that I find, I, I don't want to say sickening, but, and because I would be cynical, um, you know, but it is an obsession that is just like, can we let it go a little bit? We will never have perfect, you know, perfect freedom anywhere. And so, yeah, maybe there are some places where like, okay, we can, we can make to be a little bit better here or a little bit better there, but I think we just have to accept that we aren't free. And part of that is freeing to me is understanding that we aren't free. And I don't know, it's this very Sisyphean task, uh, you know, that I'm, that I'm, you know, laying out here. And so rant over no it's let's, it's, let's call it rant over I, that, that is utterly fascinating and like it, i don't disagree with a lot of the way that you you phrase that i just think i don't know a few things come to mind first uh this idea of um you know meritocratic hubris um where you know we fail to acknowledge some of the influences whether that be you know, the family we're born into or the like you said the bi biology that you have you know for example people that are born lactose intolerant or people that are born with a nut allergy you know you can't you're not free to eat a nut you know if it's going to kill you or, or certain things of that regard or structures that we that we follow or or layouts that we have but i think it's also a fascinating idea of like you know our ability to choose 
certain elements of our life, does that necessarily translate exactly to freedom? And I think what you're trying to say is that it doesn't. And we have connected this, this sense of freedom to our ability to choose. And we've, we've taken our choices as freedom, but are we really making these choices? You know, and I think this goes down to just a larger question of thinking about how we operate, which don't have the time to get into now, but I would agree (laughs) with you. And in some regard that, there are a lot of things that could be improved upon if these if these weird ideas that we've set forth that we hold so much value in um, and that we think that we have so much value in, you know, it really just it just says to me that many things else are more complex and you just got to think about things on a deeper level that most people tend to not think about it. And and again, I fucking hate how hoity toity or highbrow that that sounds and I don't mean it to... It's okay. Just embrace it. I know. Now. I just guess I'm going to have to. But I just... It's it's really true for me where I'll see a lot of people where it's like intellectually lazy. You know, to you'll be like, oh, you know, to make the claim that... You know, I talked about this too, an, an opinion versus claim, which we can discuss in a different podcast. But I just... You know, the idea of saying that I like vanilla over chocolate to me is opinion. But saying that everybody is not... Nobody's going back to work because of unemployment is a claim. And it's intellectually lazy at that. Um, you know, because it's easy to staple. So like that concept too, is where people don't really kind of understand when they're making a claim versus when they're making their opinion and they hide it as an opinion. And so, and I think that happens on the political sphere as well. So interesting shit, Ian, but I think, uh, you know, (laughs) I, I'm going to let, besides that, your rant kind of, uh, I got nothing else to say besides commenting on what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, um, we can leave it there. Uh, there's, you know, little little uh, hints of future future conversations. Um, oh, sure. Uh, laden throughout that conversation. Yeah, and, and again, everything is so big. There's no way we can cover like all aspects of anything. But it's just it's fun to see when you and I start discussing these. You know, what's going on in either politics or or culturally, and how it affects politics. Like you could just see where the thread kind of weaves out to other aspects, and you know, we'll definitely cover those as we go. So, guys, like, thank you so much for hanging out with. Ian and I, and uh, you know, for our, our dedicated listeners, I know that we're and we make fun of our podcasts a lot all the time, but I think that's more of for us just understanding that yeah we're we're growing and and mm-hmm. Ian and I do not definitely put all the time in that we could be doing and you know for 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 getting us kind of further, but you know for those yeah. of you that <laughs> this is not our full time yeah job. exactly you but know, for, you know jobs. we consistently you know for the forty of you that consistently listen to us each week like we love you we appreciate you and um, yeah. Share, spread, do whatever you got to do. But oh, yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're the dog work. <laughs> there's, there's noises all from all over yep. the place. Yeah, no, please, please be part of the conversation with us. Um, you can uh, write us an email at necessary bs pod <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. I, can't I love we can never just remember our own shit. You're like, oh, we want to do, we want to do a plug, but like, I don't know, we haven't checked it in no. so many years. Um, you know, or you can you can uh, add us at tw- on Twitter at mbs podcast one because we are the number one podcast. <laughs> Um, you know, or Josh and I are on our own Twitter. I'm at Modern Overman, and Josh's I think is at S Simpson or or no, who, who fucking knows? Sim- yeah, knows. Simpson J423, I think. But I'm <laughs> I'm actually really bad about going on Twitter. Like I'm just not as prominent on Twitter because as as most people know, Twitter is not a very happy place, and I just you it know, isn't. But then again, like I said, once you 
the now that I, now that I go world. to school, like I have access to like a really nice library that I'm paying a lot of money to have access to. So like, I, I find that I tend to use that to do some research too. Now that I don't have to really like, you know, for cultural stuff, I'll hop on Twitter every now and then, but no, I guess oh, for sure. No, for, for research, it's a really great, really great resource. So, bye. Bye. Uh, everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you.